Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Let's get started on our, our passage today. We're looking at Mark chapter 4, 5, and 6 today. And, and this, this is what you need to know. This is what we're going to learn today. Uh, I just wrote it down. If you want to know the power and the strength of a person, look at the opponents that they have defeated. If you want to know the power and the strength of a person, look at the opponents they have defeated. Let me give you an example, case in point. Sonny Liston in 1962 to 1964 was the world heavyweight boxing champion. He was, he was so fierce. He demolished his number one competitor who formerly had the title. His name was Patterson. And he pummeled him in the first round, knocked him out cold. Now, they didn't know the strength of Sonny Liston at that point, so they just thought, you know, maybe it was a lucky punch. So 10 months later, they had a rematch, first round, face down again. Sonny Liston was somebody to be reckoned with. As a matter of fact, uh, he was so intimidating that now the new number one contender was the British heavyweight champion, and he would not fight Sonny Liston. Like, I won't do it. His manager said, I don't want to meet Sonny Liston on the same street. I don't want to be on the same street with this man. Here's some quotes from people that know a lot about boxing. Uh, Promoter Harold Conrad said, People talked about Mike Tyson when he was in his prime, but Sonny Liston was far more ferocious, far more indestructible. His trainer, Liston's trainer, who also worked with George Foreman and Mike Tyson, said Liston was the hardest hitter of all three, no doubt. There were several boxing writers that thought that Liston would end boxing because he was so dominating. That's how powerful Sonny Liston is. And then in 1964, he fought this young sprite that was just coming up. I think they called him the Louisiana Lip because he wouldn't stop talking. And his name was Cassius Clay, later Muhammad Ali. When they fought the first time, Sonny Liston couldn't come out in the seventh round. They threw in the towel. He was done. They had a rematch because, again, maybe it was just something that happened. And so about the next year or so, they fought again. And that's where we get this iconic photo of that fight, first round. You want to know how great a fighter Muhammad Ali was? Here's how great he, how great he was. That's Sonny Liston laying on his back. You want to know how strong a person is or how powerful they are? Look at the opponents they've defeated. That man had a punch come at him so fast that most people couldn't even see it. You can't see this punch unless you watch the reel in slow motion. That's how good, that's how strong, that's how powerful Muhammad Ali is because he put down Sonny Liston and he wouldn't fight again. Yeah. Today, we're going to look at similar value with Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the life of Jesus Christ for people that were there when he was there, firsthand accounts, and we're going to look at the power and the strength and the person of Jesus Christ, and we're going to measure that by the opponents that he leaves behind. In this section of Scripture, I'm going to try to teach it, I think, the way Mark intended as he wrote it, just four stories coming at you very quickly with two applications. He's just going to go boom, 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 right after another, and he's going to show you who Jesus is and who he's claiming to be right here live. Now, let me remind you that one of the, re- the, the primary reason we're studying the book of Mark in the first place is these are, these are people that walked and talked with Jesus. And we, in our minds, we have to acknowledge that, that if that they were there, 
and we're not 2,000 years removed, and we might have pacified, pacified or pasteurized or, or turned Jesus into something that he was not. When these people react to what really happened in real time, we need to acknowledge if we were there, we would do the same thing. That's my point. We're going to look at these are firsthand encounters, and Jesus is going to do these four fights right after each other because he claimed to be more than anyone was bargaining for or as was anticipating. There were titles like Son of God, Son of Man, Messiah, the Christ that had an expectation wrapped up into it, and Jesus shows up and he said, no, it's not that, it's so much more. I am the second person of the Godhead. I created all things. All things were formed by me, for me, through me, and I hold them all together. And that's a pretty hard thing to claim unless you can prove it. And these are the four stories that prove it. How do you know how strong Jesus is? Let's look at the strength of his opponents as he leaves them behind. Game on. Let the battle begin. First story, story one. It's a boat trip. I read a quote this month, I think it was this month, said, all wise men fear three things, a storm at sea, a night without a moon, and a gentle man that's angered. In this story, we get two out of three. We're going to get a storm at night with no moon. This is chapter four, and we, we are picking this up from where we left off. Jesus has had a long, hard day of ministry, teachings and miracles, that sort of thing. He gets on the boat at, at, at evening, and they're going to sail across the Sea of Galilee. While they're sailing across, it says suddenly, right, suddenly a furious squall, that means a localized hurricane, kicks up, somewhat common on the Sea of Galilee, kicks up, and is now it says it is swamping the boat, and they are sinking, they're, 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 they'll, they'll sink imminently, right? They're, they're nearly swamped, and the, Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow, no kidding. Now, the other disciples are in the boat, and they are scared for their lives. And so they run to Jesus and wake him up with, there's obviously, there's some anger and tension, in, and they say, teacher, don't you care that we're all going to drown? And this is how Jesus responds. So Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, be quiet, be still. And, and then the wind died down, and the water was completely calm. Two amazing things you need to see in this, okay? First, just the simplicity of the words, okay? He, I mean, he, they wake Jesus up, teacher, don't you care that we're all drowning? He doesn't, he doesn't like, let's roll, he doesn't roll up his sleeves, right? He doesn't brace himself. He doesn't get a staff like Gandalf, you shall not pass, right? There, and the bigger thing is there's no incantations. This is key. There's no, in the name of God, in the name of Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, I command you. He doesn't say that. He says two simple words, quiet, still. He, and he, I mean, he's talking, he's talking like to a hurricane, like, uh, like, like a, a pet dog. You know, sit, stay. Okay, the words are, are you know, the words is, are, are strange enough. The, the strange part is, is that nature obeys like a dog. He, he says these two commands, there's two audiences, by the way, it looks like there's repetition and redundancy, there's not. There's two commands to two audiences. He says, he says to the wind, he says, quiet, and it, was, and it said and it was quiet. And then to the waves, he said, be still, 
And it became, and it said deathly calm. De- I mean, glass, right? This is the stuff you want to water ski on. And it happened instantly, right? I mean, it, waves don't calm down right after the wind stop. And, the, and the, the point is this. The point is this. is Jesus is, 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 is showing, he's proving that he's not someone with power. Jesus is the power. He's telling nature what to do and the way it is. He's not an Old Testament prophet that would call upon God and say, in the name of God, light this, you know, bale on fire. He's just saying, He's just telling the wind and the waves to behave. Only God can do that. He is claiming to be the creator of all things and has power over all these things. And this is, so this happens. Look at the first person reactions to the people that were actually there. Not your view that you might have read this too many times, but look at their view. They were on this boat when he says, sit stay, and it happens. Here's what, here's what the men do. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Mark, the gospel or the writer that is famous for bringing in the emotions of the players that are involved, he said, we were afraid while we were in the storm, and when it was calm, we were now terrified. <laughs> they went from afraid in the storm to calm and terrified. Okay, well, I, I mean, they were afraid for, they were reasonably afraid, right? They were reasonably afraid they thought they were going to drown. These, by the way, these, there are four men on this boat that are generational lifetime sailors, okay? They, these are not landlubbers. These are men that do this for, for a profession, and they know when the ship is going down. And so they wake up Jesus, and they say, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? What, what did they want him to do? Think, think about that. What did they want him to do? Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Get up. You, you were a carpenter once. Do, do something what the carpenters do. Uh, you, he, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You could start bailing. What did they want him to do? Don't you care? Oh, that's the key to the phrase. That's, that's what they want to do. Hugs. Everybody hug. I do care that we're going to drown. I, I love you, man. I love you too, man. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You know what? You should, like, teach. You should give one of those talks they do in movies right before the, ca- the captain comes on. He gives this really great talk, and then they all die. What do they want, what do they want Jesus to do? Because they're screaming at him, and they're saying, do something, Jesus. And he says, sit, stay. And they think, that is not what we were thinking. We just, I don't know what we had in mind, but that was not what we had in mind, because now we're terrified. (laughs) We're not that something. I mean, Jesus goes back to the back of the boat, goes back to sleep, and the guys are going, Man, I missed that storm because we were just afraid then. And now, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? That's the, kind of the first application here. I mean, the, 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 the firsthand, first followers, the men that went camping with him for three and a half years, these people that, that knew Jesus, 
they're terrified because this is showing them, it's revealing to them who Jesus is, what his claims are, and they are not fitting nicely within the boundaries of their expectations. <laughs> who is this person? You know, I mean, they went into it like you and I go into Jesus. I mean, we want a, we want a, we want a teacher. People follow him. I want a healer. I want Jesus to be a good provider for us. We want someone to tuck us into bed when we've had an especially bad day. Um, someone, someone that can meet our needs. And he shows up, and he's like a, he's a king. He's a king of all kings, the creator. Sit, stay. Real people in the time of Jesus that had encounters with him were attracted to him and then terrorized by him. They were drawn to be with him and to enjoy him and know him, and then they became fearful of the power that brought them in. I mean, like moths to a flame, they wanted to go towards it, and that would kill them. Is he safe? He's not just safe. Who said anything about safe? But he's kind. That's what they say about Aslan. So the first story, let me just make sure we understand this first story because this is our first opponent. This is a boat full of sailors, and the thing they fear most is to be at sea during a storm, worse still would be at night. This is what their wives pray when they pull out from port every time they go fishing. They don't pray for fish. They pray they get their husband back. This is what they're most worried about. This is the thing they fear the most. And this storm kicks up in the night, and Jesus says, quiet, be calm. This is our king. This is our king. Colossians 1.15. And the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, the visible things and the invisible, whether the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's our king. That was Jesus' point. Story two. It's a picnic at the beach. Same, I mean, this is, this is kind of the same story. He's got caught at sea. Now he ends up, they, they end up at, the, at a beach in the Gentile community. And this story right here, Mark chapter 5, is the longest, most vivid story in Mark's biography. It is also the longest, most detailed story of a demonic uh, uh, exorcism in all of the Bible. This is a very scary story. As a matter of fact, I listen to Bible on audio tape, on audio, and I have a couple versions that are dramatized. When I listen to dramatized versions of Mark chapter 5, I just skip to 6. Because when they do the voice of this man that's demon-possessed, I don't sleep so good no more. But for you, I'll use that voice so that you appreciate what's happening here. So uh, Jesus lands on the beach and Mark's going to use all of, most of his descriptive terms in this chapter to describe how insanely possessed and out of control this man is. He'll say that this man that's demon-possessed lives among the tombs. They're, he's living in caves. He likes to be around death. He likes to be around carcasses. The smell of death is enjoyable to him. He is unconstrainable, it says. He says the townspeople try to put chains on his hands and his ankles, and he broke through them. It says it tore. He tore through them. There is no man that could subdue him. 
It said that he, he was so un, you know, uncivilized that he was naked. And he would, other uh, stories in other gospels say that he would, in his nudity, would flop around in the fire all day, all night. He would be screaming and hollering while he gashes himself with sharp pieces of clay. No one was allowed near this beach. And Jesus' boat pulls up. I'm sure the disciples are, oh, man, who is this man we've attached ourselves to? Verse 6 is where this picks up. And when the the demoniac saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and then fell to his knees in front of Jesus, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. What is your name, he says. We are legion, for we are many. And he begged the demoniac, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And the demoniac sees a herd of pigs, and he, and it says he, he begged again. I think that was the word. Yes, he, the demons begged again that he could just be sent into the pigs. Look, stop. Look, look, at our, look at our contest right here. We have this man that have, has legions, thousands of demons running wreck on his soul. He cannot be contained. He cannot be chained. He cannot be subdued. He will not wear clothing. He enjoys death more than any other thing. He screams all the time. Gashes. This is the boogeyman's boogeyman. This is the person that all the horror movies hope that they could use as an icon to scare everyone. Children cannot say this man's name. And in Matthew's gospel, he says it the best when this demoniac says, Can you, could you just let us go to the pigs? Jesus says, here's the contest. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, ding, go. That's all Jesus says. He just says, go. And though that legion runs and finds themselves in 2,000 pigs, they run down a steep embankment into the water and drown themselves. They're all dead because Jesus said, go. (laughs) Now, this is where it gets scary, believe it or not. So, parents... Cover the eyes of your children because this is what they saw. This is, so, so the shepherds of these pigs, they run and they tell the townspeople about what happened. They come back, and here's what they see because they get scared. Verse 15, and when they came back to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by that legion of demons. And look, look what's happening. He was sitting there, and he was dressed, and, and, it's just, and he was in his right mind. And so they were all very afraid. I just want to make sure you see this. This is what they did. Everybody came back, and they saw the demon-possessed man who was used to be naked, flopping around, gashing himself, and they saw him sitting there, dressed in his right mind with a pink coffee cup. And he says to the mayor, hey. And the mayor, wah! They didn't know what to do. Look, look, look what they do with their fear. Look what they do. Verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Here we go again. Help, help. We have this man that has a legion of demons inside of him. There's no way he can be controlled. He cannot be subdued. We can't chain him down. He loves death. He flaps around in the fire naked. Help us, help us. Go. 
wait, we didn't know you, you were going to do that. We didn't know you were going to have him be sitting in clothes in his right mind. We didn't know you were going to do that. And they just say, get out. That's how people react when they have a real encounter with the real Jesus. They are terrified of his power. They want a little salvation. Do you see? They just want a little salvation. They just want to be better, like a little more civilized. They want a happy family life. We want to keep the kids off drugs, right? And we want our relationships to be okay. This Jesus shows up and says, that's not what I'm here for. I am, I, this is too much for them. He is too big for them. And so they are attracted to what he can do for them. And when he shows up bigger than they anticipated, they, can you leave? These are friends. These are firsthand accounts. These things really happen. If you were there, you'd have these emotions. If you were a sailor and you saw him, what he did to that sea and that storm, you would be attracted to and terrorized by. If you were in that village and saw that demon-possessed man sitting there with his clothes on, with a fair mind, you'd say, man, I miss, I really, I really miss that, those demons, you know, because at least, you know, there was something about it. We could just stay away from the beach. And then Jesus says, go. This is our king. Look at the passage. This is the king. This is the, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven, spiritual things, and on earth, the visible and the invisible. All these, this is a list of the invisible things. These are our hierarchies, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Jesus created that too. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things are held together. That's our king. That's Jesus. That's the one who was showing up of Jesus of Nazareth. Third story, okay, trip to the morgue. Same day. I mean, these poor disciples are getting worn out. They cross the Sea of Galilee again, and they end up probably back at base camp. The crowd's waiting for them. Cutting through the crowd is one of the leaders of the synagogue. His name is, I think, is Jarius. And he falls, again, face down at the feet of Jesus, and he says this. He says, Jesus, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and she is sick and dying. And if you would, if you would just put your hands on her, I know that she would be well and she would live. She's sick and dying. Could you touch her and she would be well and live? And he said, I, I want to I do that. I want to do that. And so he starts, he, they start making their way there, and then something else happens, and it's taking too long. And so when Jarius' friends from the house where the girl is comes and meets Jarius and says, it, you can tell Jesus to go back. It's too late. Your daughter's gone. Your daughter's gone. So he's, right, he's, he's, he's losing his skeletal system. And Jesus overhears this, verse 36. Overhearing what they had said, Jesus, Jesus told them, don't, don't be afraid. You, you, just, you just believe. Okay? And so Jesus goes to the house, and, he t and when he gets there, as you would imagine, everybody's weeping bitterly, you know, out of control. This 12-year-old girl has passed, and so he moves everyone out of the house, lets the mother and father come with him, and Peter, James, and John, because they want to see this, he wants them to see this as well, and this is what he does. And then he took her by the hand, the, the daughter, and he said to her, little girl, I say to you, rise. 
and immediately, it says, and immediately she stood up. And, and this, in this, they were completely astonished. Better translation, overcome with amazement. You have room for this much amazement? It overflowed with amazement. Do you see who this person, his foe is, his opponents? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a hurricane. It's not a demon-possessed man. This is death. Death obeys Jesus. Jesus says, rise, and that child gets up. Can you imagine kind of the spiritual, fictitious conversation that death and Jesus must have had? Where, oh, death is like, uh, oh, sorry, you know what? I probably got here early. You know what? I'm really impatient, and I, I, I'm sorry that I touched her and killed her, and that was, that's on me. And you know what, though? Um, it says... It says, it says I could do this at 9.15, and it's 9.30, so I wasn't early. I think you were late. Wait, no, I didn't say you were late. I wasn't saying you're just on time, and I probably wrote it down wrong. But here's the thing, Jesus, okay? See, death is pleading with Jesus. Here's the thing, Jesus. I could still have my sting, right? And I will still have the victories. And Jesus would just stare at death and say, we should go to breakfast, Let's make it an early one. You bring your sickle, and I'll break that over my knee on Easter Sunday because I own you. I own you, death. You don't do things without my permission. This, this, <laughs> this is Jesus. I want you to see Jesus lining up opponents one after another, the things we fear the most. And he says, right? In single-syllable words, right? Sit, stay, go, rise. And everyone just does what they're told. What you see in these stories is that he has a power, and that power is terrifying. He has an authority that is captivating yet frightening. His person is something that we're drawn to and repelled from at the same time. We are overcome, right, short-circuiting with amazement. That's what these stories are trying to tell us about Jesus. Fourth story, Jesus goes home for the weekend, okay? A trip home. Fourth story, this is Mark chapter 6. He goes home, and turns out it's going to be on Saturday, the Sabbath, and he gets to teach in church that day. And so in verse 2 it says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. That's awesome, you know, and they like that. And they say this about his teaching. It says, where did this man get these things? What this, what, what's with this wisdom that he's been given, right? Uh, what are these remarkable miracles they're performing? See how they're, those sound like compliments? But actually they're not. Because what follows is this cynical contempt for their old friend Jesus, because here's how they, they say, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Hey, honey, don't we have a coffee table from this guy? Yeah, okay, right, that's, that's what I thought. Isn't Mary's son and the brothers James and John, Joseph and Judas and Simon, aren't they here? Yeah, I think we were all on a soccer team together. I mean, who's this guy think he is? I mean, he's smart and all, he's kind of doing some weird stuff, but he's like, I knew him when. And aren't these sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. They took offense to him. We know who you are. Stay there. Look how Jesus responds. 
And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives and in his own house. So he couldn't even do miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith, and so he moved on. Three dominating stories of Jesus defeating the things that are most powerful and the things we fear the most in this physical lifetime. And then this fourth story, which is, I'll give it a draw. And how does that happen? Because familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt gets Jesus moving on to the next village. This is the scariest story of them all. Because this is the story that you and I, that I find myself getting enveloped into. Been at church for a while, think I know Jesus, studied him for a few years, got him safely in the parameters of where I like him. And that's, that's not who he is. Four stories, two applications. First application, is this the Jesus you know? Is this the Jesus you know? Because if you see Jesus like the first people saw Jesus, the people that could touch him and hear his own voice, you you should have these attributes as part of your faith, that you would see him and be frightened or be amazed, or you should be overflowing with amazement or unsettled. He, he, He has to be bigger. Here's the thing, because he's bigger than your storm. He's more powerful than your fears. Uh, he's more even consistent with your aging and how, how difficult that is. He shows up. We ask him to do things, and he shows up as more, bigger, and better because he's not who we want him to be. I mean, there's a great example of the story of, of who, how some people see Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote as as, again, this, this value that we're attracted to him and we're afraid of him. Okay, we're drawn to him and we're terrified by him. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, there's uh, one of the books is called The Silver Chair. And in this particular story, uh, a, a girl named Jill has been hearing about Aslan, which is the story is Jesus. And Aslan is this lion the sides of a Clydesdale. And so when he shows up, he's um, pretty dominating. Jill's never, Jill just knows of her, and now he, she meets him, but she's about to quite literally die of dehydration. And between her and this beautiful river is Aslan. And he speaks for the first time, and it knocks her down. It says this, his voice was not like a man's voice. It was deeper and wilder and stronger. It's sort of heavy, golden voice. It it, it did not make her any less frightened than she had been before. It just made her frightened in a rather different way. She went from being afraid to being terrified. And she's dying of thirst. And so she tells Aslan, I'm dying of thirst. And he says, we'll we'll drink. And she said, "Um, would you mind moving? And he just stared at her and growled, it's kind of rumble, and it occurred to her that she had just asked of a whole mountain to move out of its way for her convenience. And then she said, do you promise if I come to the river not to eat me? And he said, I will make no promises. And now she's growing faint. And it's getting serious at this point. And, and she says, do you, do, you eat, do you eat little girls? 
And this was his answer. I have swallowed up girls and boys and women and men and kings and emperors and cities and realms, said the lion. And he didn't say it as if he were boasting or that he were sorry or even if he was angry. He just, he just said it. And then she said, well, then I won't drink. And he said, then you'll die. And her life changed. In her mind, she absolutely made up her mind that she would pursue the stream. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream. She knelt down. She began scooping up the water in her hand. And it was the coldest, most refreshing water that she had ever tasted, that salvation, the water of life. And she didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched her thirst all at once. Amazement, attraction, terror, and fright. These are the attributes of having a real conversation, a real experience with Jesus. And if you are comfortable with Jesus, you are not, then it's not the Jesus of Nazareth. If If your view of Jesus is such that you're comfortable, then that's not Jesus because no one that was with him was comfortable with him. If you're sure of him, if you can predict what he might do next, that is not the Jesus in the Bible. If you can advise Jesus or correct Jesus or tell him that he should have done this or should have done that in the things of life, the harsh harsh parts of life, that's not the Jesus in the Bible. And this is kind of new to the last 30 years. If you feel like you you could forgive Jesus, that's not the Jesus that these men and women experienced firsthand. He will not be forgiven. He need not be forgiven. Jesus is category blowing. And if he isn't blowing your categories, he's not the Jesus of Nazareth that's in the Bible. So, my invitation would be that you would join the rest of us and spend this life and the next trying to know that Jesus that we would, we, would, we would stay with us and we'll just go farther up and further in and learn about this good, good father, who he really is, the real one, okay? Two applications. First one, do you know the real Jesus? The second one, would you obey him? <laughs> would, you, would you obey him? All things are created for him and by him and through him. Jesus is before all things and in all things, all things are held together. Everybody in these stories, everything in these stories is obeying Jesus, okay? The wind obeys Jesus. The waves obey Jesus. Death obeys Jesus. uh, The demons obey Jesus. How about you? I mean, right, I mean, how about you? There's so many reasons to appeal for obedience, but this is the nature of Jesus that is appealing to. Just obey him. I mean, he loves you. That's, he made you. That's good too. But this, he is the king and the creator of all things. Just do what he says. The wind and the waves do. Demons do. Death does. So serve. Serve one. We're, de- we're designed to serve. It, it works. It's true. He said so. He said so. Turn, turn out be selfless. Be self-forgetful. It is not about you. That's what he demands, and it works, and it's good for you. It's true, and he said so. He said so. Okay. So stop playing pitiful little power games 
like bringing Nietzsche, the will to power, in your marriage. You bring that in your marriage, power, control, with, with this kind of Jesus, just, just obey him. He deserves it. Not just because it's true, not because it works, because he said so. And so take up your cross, right? Deny yourself. That means get your ego, nail it down to this thing, and then follow him. Just follow him because he said so. Listen, this story isn't too different from stories in the Old Testament, and I don't know how that works in your head, but parting Red Seas, I'm telling you, it's when you're the creator of all things, it's not that hard. Jesus says, part Red Sea. The Red Sea goes, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I do what I'm told. But, but, but what, what, what do we do? You have to have a generous soul. Um, uh, you, know, you know, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh, well, okay. Just, just pray as a couple together you know, four times a week, a few minutes a day. That's it. Mm. Demons do what they're told. Death will snap to it. No, nah, I don't want to pray four times a week. Mm. Look, at the, look at these stories. Look at these stories. Submit respectfully to authority. Look at these stories. If you have authority, be fearfully serving those you have responsibility for. Look, look at these stories. You should plead God like these people were pleading with Jesus. Plead that you would attain holiness, that you would be frightened and fearful, that you would not become who Jesus wants you to become in the fullness of his design for you. Those sorts of things. Know the real Jesus and obey that Jesus. Join us. Join us. Let's do this together. Let's go farther up, further in, in these ambitions. That's what this passage says. That's why Jesus did these things. That's why Mark wrote us to tell us that this is our king. This is who Jesus is. Make that so. Hallelujah. We'll pray to that. Lord Jesus, first, I want to confess that I, I bet everyone in this room has this plastic Jesus, this contorted view of you that is not awesome, awesome to the point of fear. And I'd ask, Lord, that you would continue as we've worked through this pas these passages, that you continue to attack these lies in us, the way we hold you, the way we try to constrain you, Lord, I admit, I, I'm that fourth story where I've, I, think, I think you'd move on to the next village. So, Lord, I'd ask that you would cause our spirits to be restless towards this desire to, to know you in a way that would terrify us, that would, that, would, that would overflow us with amazement and cause us to be feeling temporal and creaturely in the presence of the eternal creator. So draw us into that. Help us repent of shallowness. Let us desire the greater things. You are our God and King. Help us, help us experience that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.